whether you are ultra wealthy, whether you're broke, everyone has an estate. As such, everyone needs an estate plan. Knowing that you do have an estate and you need an estate plan, what I always point out is that if you don't have an estate plan, the state has a plan for your estate. Welcome to the Get Real Podcast. Your high-octane boost of full-on reality therapy for personal, business, and investing success with your host, Ron Phillips, because somebody's got to tell it like it is. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Get Real Podcast. Ron Phillips here with Heather Marchant on location this morning again. (laughs) It's going to be a I don't know, Heather, you're not, I don't know if you're old enough. It looks like the Qbert like that video game, the Qbert thing. So anybody <laughs> my age is going to know that behind you looks like Qbert. <laughs> so for all you youngins listening, you'll have to go look that up. It'll it'll make you laugh, Qbert. Sorry. Anyway, Heather's on location at her office this morning. Yes, just in a different location in the building. But yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 All right. Well, today we actually have a really cool show. I mean, Heather had this idea. I'm going to let you introduce it, Heather. This is your idea. I think this is a great topic, and I hope it helps a lot of folks out there. Yeah, I feel like this is um, kind of becoming more common, I think, maybe since 2008, and having aging parents and going through the last recession and now confronting another recession and having parents that are aging and what to do to help them be prepared to make sure that everything is going to transition when they pass as smooth as possible and help prevent probate and things like that. So when this came up, I was actually having a discussion with my husband about it. And I said, man, this would be a great podcast because this is something that, I mean, most people are dealing with in one way or another. So I reached out to JJ Childers. Sorry. I almost always say your name Childers every time. And um, he, he said, you know, he'd be happy to join us and offer some expertise, which I thought would be awesome. So thanks for joining us, JJ. Well, that's great to be here. Yeah, JJ has yeah, been a guest you. on the show before. So. And the good news is you don't have to listen to Heather and Ron talk about what they don't know today. <laughs> we, we, get to, we get to ask pummel questions at, at JJ today. So. <laughs> well, I'm actually, you know, when you mentioned Qbert, I was, took me back. I was thinking... We're talking about aging parents, but I'm talking about an aging attorney here. Because uh, <laughs> I was going, I remember Qbert. That's Come on, true. we're not even halfway done, JJ. <laughs> That's right. I'm over here, and I'm not that much younger than you guys, but I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that is. So I'm going to have to mm-hmm. Google it. So. <laughs> All right, youngin. I know. Look out. So I, a couple of just like a general broad question, JJ. If you have aging parents, what are just a couple things you can do? to help make sure they're prepared? Well, you know, first of all, I always look at it and, and find it interesting because a lot of times I'll talk to folks and they'll say, you know who needs this is my parents. You know, because I'll speak at different events where I, we're talking about primarily about asset protection, which is really protecting yourself from lawsuits. But as part of that, I always say that, and people may remember that I said this on our last podcast, I, I'm sure because I say it almost every time, is that, What asset protection is about is protecting our assets from lawsuits, income taxes, and death taxes. And you do that by focusing on the areas of asset protection, estate planning, and tax reduction. Well, this area that we're focused on this morning, you know, basically, we're talking about estate planning. 
And I always spend a portion of any time I'm talking about asset, the overall concept of wealth protection, focused a little bit on estate planning. And it's it really is interesting. As I as I first kind of referenced, people will say, Wow, that was some good stuff. That's awesome. My parents need this. I say, Well, you know, you're right, your parents do need this, but what about you? <laughs> a lot of times they think, no, no, this is something for no, this is when you're older. I'm going, Well, you know, has it ever, you know, because sometimes people will think. You know, Ron just kind of said earlier, he's like, hey, we're only halfway there. So, well, you know, I hope that's the case. Challenge sometimes is that people will think, hey, the average life expectancy, which is actually going down, the average life expectancy is in the 70s for men and women. So if I'm only 50 or I'm only 40, maybe, you know, I don't need to be thinking about that. Well, has it ever happened that someone died before the average life expectancy? Of course. Well, when we're looking at this, number one, I'd say it's for everyone, but specifically because we're talking about aging parents today, I would say the earlier you can get this implemented, the better. And in particular for the aging parents, because as they begin to age more and more, obviously sometimes you know people are sharp as tacks, but there's also instances where the mental capacity begins to kind of fade or dull, uh, if we want to be, be kind to say just doling, uh, we have some cognitive doling. What happens there is then they may face the lack of capacity to actually enter into any sort of agreements and to actually facilitate some of the things that need to be done as part of that overall process. So what I always tell people is you need to have these conversations while they are mentally aware, mentally sharp, while they are able to engage. Now, sometimes that can be a little challenging, and I know we're going to be talking about that throughout this podcast as far as how to approach that, some different ways to to look at it, different things to maybe, you know, over challenges to overcome, really, because what happens is a lot of times, you know, as people age and as they start getting towards those, you know, later years, they also become a little more suspect. They're worried in many instances that people are trying to take advantage of them. And sadly, they have to worry about that because yeah, there are a lot stories, of I'm sure. Yeah, they, and you know the thing is, you know, you look in, uh, you know, online, you see all these people that are taking advantage of other people. You hear about it through AARP, which is actually a great publication, their their magazine. And you look at some of these things; they've got some great information, but they also make people aware of some of the things that are happening, and. If you recognize that and understand it, that can help you formulate your thoughts, formulate your approach, and kind of develop basically a strategy on how you're going to broach this topic, how you're going to get them to think about it without being overly guarded. Yeah, really, really helpful insights. Interesting that that, that people say that my parents really need this because that would be something I would be saying. I don't know about you, Ron. You, your parents, maybe you're well, have a debt, but... Yeah, I mean, I, you know, another thing I, I don't think people realize too is that if you are the parents that we're talking about right now, or if you are, and you know, I guess, you know, to JJ's point, all of us, anybody who has some wealth that they're trying to transfer, the best way to do that is over time. It's my understanding, JJ. And so, if you get to the end and you're trying to transfer wealth, it's much more difficult to avoid the, the taxes because you can gift so much a year. There's structures that you can set up that allow you over time to really take advantage of the laws that are there that were put there by wealthy people who uh 
created the laws to be able to escape those things. But man, it's just like everything else. If you wait all the way to the end, you're going to get what you get. Uh, I mean, you still should do something rather than hit probate, but my gosh, it's much better to do it way early on, especially because during those years, you can, you can really direct what you want to have happen with your wealth before you're at a capacity at, at a, at a place where you're, you don't have the capacity to do it. And then somebody else's idea is how your wealth is going to get directed. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what happens. A, a lot of instances, people will wait until maybe their parents are in a you know period of whether it's mental or physical decline. And they think, okay, well, I better hurry up and do this right now. Well, the challenge is if they're at a point where they're in a nursing home or they're facing some of those issues, there are look back periods that they say you can't do this just right at the end and get out of it because as far as the the nursing home costs, the assisted living facility costs, whatever it may be, they're not going to just have the government pay for that for you. They're going to want to drain down the estate as much as they possibly can before that mm-hmm. kicks in. And people will look to shelter that, and that's where you know a lot of times you've got to find somebody. If if you wait till it's too late, then you've got to find somebody that's an expert specifically on the elder law issues, which can be, you know, I work on it to a certain extent, but if you wait until it's too late, that's when really there's not a whole lot you can do. Yeah, interesting. So if you could talk a little bit about having a will and having a trust, like what the advantages and disadvantages, I guess, there's probably not any disadvantages of having a will, but just kind of talk to that a little bit, because I felt like I understood it. But when my husband was asking me these questions, I was like, well, maybe I don't understand it as well as I thought I did. Well, you know, first of all, that's that's a conversation I have every single day, you know, because I'll do trust review calls or estate planning review calls with clients or prospective clients for that matter. And one of the things that I always share with people is that, number one, I would just make sure that everybody knows you have an estate. Sometimes when we're talking about estate planning, just that word estate somewhat conjures up images of massive, um, I kind of kid, Ron, you'll appreciate this. I'll speak sometimes uh, to groups and I'll say, I mean, you know, remember like Dynasty and, you know, with Blake and Crystal Carrington, you know, and people are looking at me like, uh, what is that? I'm not going to admit that I ever watched or did not watch that show. <laughs> exactly. You don't want to admit. You can neither confirm nor deny. That I cannot. Ever watched it. But I cannot, it's, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, so you think about that and people are thinking, well, that's only for the ultra wealthy. Well, what I explain to people is that you, whether you are ultra, ultra wealthy, whether you're moderately wealthy, whether you're just barely wealthy, whether you're broke, everyone has an estate, period. Everyone has an estate. As such, everyone needs an estate plan. And now with that estate plan, if you don't have anything in place, which it shocks me how many people just have nothing in place, especially when you have children, there's no plan whatsoever for how they're going to be taken care of, not only just financially, but just physically. That's part of what will motivate a lot of people to get their estate plan put in place. But what I always mention to people is knowing that you do have an estate and you need an estate plan, what I always point out is that if you don't have an estate plan, the state has a plan for your estate. And when I explain that, sometimes I'll show a a PowerPoint slide and I'll put the word estate and I'll say, here's what happens when you don't have an estate plan. And then I make the E 
of estate, the first E, disappear. And I say, the state will tell you how your assets are going to be distributed. And what that mm-hmm. refers to is there is basically, if you die without a plan, that's called dying intestate. Now, when you die intestate, every single state in the country has what they call their laws of intestate succession. And those laws will say, if you die without any plan, here's what our plan is for you. Your assets shall be distributed this way. And then if you don't have that person, it'll go this way. And that's where a lot of times you'll see in movies where someone will say, yeah, well, it turns out that you had a a long lost uncle that passed away. And because he didn't really have a will in place, everything is left to you. And we think that's just far-fetched just in the movies, but it's not. It all starts because that's what happens in many instances. If people don't have a plan, it just follows those laws of intestate succession. So at an absolute mm-hmm. bare minimum, you need to have a will. Now, the, what a will does, and, and here, here's what I, I'm probably going to be expounding upon this in a little more detail. And you guys feel free to cut me off at any time if I start, get, if I start geeking out on estate planning jargon. Um, <laughs> but what, what happens is a lot of times people think, okay, well, I'll just do a will because that'll be easier. Or I'll do a will because it'll be cheaper. Well, one of the things, a will basically is a testamentary document that explains, here's what, I, what my intentions are for my estate whenever I pass away. So I want to leave my estate to this person or these persons, these organizations, these family members, these beneficiaries, these charities, whatever it may be. And that's all laid out as part of that testamentary document. Well, that's great that you have that rather than dying in testate where the state tells you how it's going to be distributed. However, one of the things we've got to recognize is that that will will go through the probate process. So that whole probate process, we'll talk about that in just a, a moment, is essentially the proving of your will. It's the transfer of your assets. Now, when I mentioned earlier, as far as a lot of people think it's easier, a lot of people think it's less expensive. Well, if you're going to be setting up an estate plan, it's not just the will or just the trust. You've also got to have the ancillary documents, which are the documents that accompany the testamentary document. So you've got to have the power of attorney. Now, there's two different powers of attorney. One is for general and financial matters. And then there's another one that's for medical issues, your medical affairs. So we've got to have two different types of powers of attorney. On top of that, you'll have your healthcare directives, maybe a living will, depending upon what state you're in. They have different sorts of requirements. Nowadays, you have to have your HIPAA waiver and release forms to make sure that the medical professionals are authorized to share your health information with somebody that you designate. If you don't have that in place, you may not be able to access that information. When we're talking about parents in particular, if they haven't authorized you, you may say, hey, I'm a grown man, I'm a grown woman, I'm in charge of these people. But if you don't have the right documents, you can't prove to them that you're in charge. And that's why anytime someone goes to the hospital or a doctor or anything, they'll ask you for your you know, either power of attorney or the HIPAA waiver and release forms. So that, that becomes a big part of it. So I guess the main thing that I want to point out for folks is just because you think about, well, let's just do something, let's just get a will. It's still going to be a pretty expansive undertaking because you've got to have all those additional documents. But it's also something that you need to recognize that you will end up going through probate if you have that will. Now, there are ways to avoid probate, 
The primary way that I always advocate avoiding probate is with the revocable living trust. Now, notice I said a, a living trust. The reason it's called a living trust is because you fund that trust, you transfer your assets into that trust while you are living. So that's what we mean by that. It's basically an interview. So let's let's yeah. do a timeout really quick because yeah, the trust language gets confusing to people. And I think people's eyes start to glass over when you start talking about revocable and irrevocable and people don't know what those mean and then we then we move directly into living um so first what's the difference between a, a revocable trust and an irrevocable trust and why would you not want to use one or the other of those or why would you want to use one or the other of those and then explain the the living part so let's talk about that now it's going to sound like i'm being a little bit of a smart aleck and i'm not and te i tease about this a lot of times especially like when I'm speaking with groups or talking with folks, people will ask that question. They'll say, what's the difference between a revocable and an irrevocable? And I'll say, one of them can be revoked and the other one cannot. <laughs> and they say, well, thank you for clearing that up for me. You know, But basically, when, when you say that, you know, a lot of times people were pronounce it as irrevocable. And you know, basically, when you're saying a revocable trust, I always advocate that for people's estate plans because a lot of times you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what your needs are going to be on into the future. You don't necessarily know what assets that you may need to take out, what types of changes that you may need to make. As such, you may find yourself that you need to completely revoke this thing and then start all over with a completely new estate plan, depending upon your circumstances. As people live longer, you have folks who, you know, you've got widows, widowers, and you've got uh, divorce, you've got various circumstances that cause people to have to completely change their overall plans. If it's irrevocable, it becomes much more difficult, if not impossible, to make any sort of change. Once you've put that asset into that trust, it's in that trust. With a revocable, you're able to say, okay, I can put it in, I can take it out. I have a lot more flexibility. That's why we always advocate that. I was speaking with somebody yesterday about the difference between these two different types of trust. And in particular, that question that you mentioned, Ron, as far as the revocable versus irrevocable. And the reason you might want to do an irrevocable is that you can get better tax advantages because once you've put it in there, you can't take it out. As such, you've given up the control and that enables you to access better tax advantages. Second thing is from a liability protection standpoint. A lot of times people will set up an irrevocable trust for asset protection purposes because the more control you have over everything, the less liability protection you have. And I know we always say we want to have as much control as possible, but when you still have the ownership and you have the control in the event that you're sued, you're going to have a lot of exposure. If you're able to set up an irrevocable trust, you're able to give away that ownership, give away that control. You have to hire a separate trustee that manages everything with an irrevocable trust. With a revocable, you are the trustee. You're still completely in charge of everything. You're still making all the decisions, which makes you have a lot more flexibility, which is why we do it this way. And we back up for just a second. As I mentioned earlier, where we were talking about lawsuits, income taxes, and death taxes, and we focus on asset protection, estate planning, and tax reduction. I always make sure that people understand that there may be some strategies that are incredible for asset protection, but they're awful for tax reduction or estate planning. There may be some that are great for estate planning, but they're not going to give you any real tax benefit 
and they're not going to give you any liability protection benefit. That's how this revocable living trust is. It's done for estate planning purposes, primarily probate avoidance. However, it's tax neutral. You're not going to get any tax benefit necessarily from setting this up from an income tax standpoint. You do end up getting some benefit as far as having the, the portability of the estate tax credit for a married couple in particular. So you're rather than having the you know a little over $12 million now of uh, exclusion, you can double that for a married couple. So now you're looking at over $24 million that's exempt from federal income or federal estate taxes. Okay. Got it. Now that's so, the revocable versus irrevocable. What can we talk more about the living as well? Okay. So a couple of other questions. So some things that are that are hard, those hard conversations, any tips on how to be assertive with a parent who doesn't have these things in order? Yeah, Heather, that's a great question. And there's definitely no one answer for that. But as far as I like how you phrased it, any tips? To me, this is kind of like a negotiation. And if we're looking at anytime we're negotiating with, with another party, one of the best lessons I've ever learned is focus on interests rather than positions. Now, your position may be, I want you to do this, and this is how I want you to do this. Well, sometimes if, they, if the other side, the other party is pushing back, sometimes they're just pushing back against your position. If you can focus on those interests and really say, well, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? Are there multiple ways to accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish? Because you never know what's in somebody else's head, you know, unless they're going to share it with you. And unfortunately, sometimes they'll just shut down. When it comes to talking about things like this, people can become very private or they can become very defensive. They can become very insecure even and suspect, like we mentioned earlier. And part of it is because they've heard those horror stories about how you know somebody's kid milked their parents out of all sorts of money. And then their parents, you know, who always took care of them or end up left with nobody to take care of or nobody to take care of them. And it's it's horrible. If they own their own primary residence, is it best to put it, the home into the trust if they own their primary residence? Well, there are a couple of ways that you can do this. To answer that question, yes, I believe it's best to put it into a trust. Now, the reason for that is that, you know, some people will tell you, Hey, as long as the children's name is also on the house with, say, as joint tenancy with rights of survivorship, if their name is on that, then all of a sudden, whenever they pass away, that's going to pass to the children and it's going to avoid the probate process. The downside of that, remember, when we're focusing on not just the estate planning, but also the asset protection. From an asset protection standpoint, you don't necessarily want the child's name on this house because in the event that they're facing a lawsuit or they're facing debt or they're facing credit issues or they're facing things where people are coming after them, now they have exposure in that house, in the parent's house, that they wouldn't have if the parent had just simply put it into a trust, which would also help them to avoid the probate process. Interesting. Okay. And then are there states that are particularly um, taxed heavily? They heavily tax the estate versus others? Yeah. If you just look at like some of the, some of the worst states and, you know, some of these are not going to catch anyone by surprise. If when I say New York, California, 
you know, Hawaii is a highly taxed state. New Jersey is highly taxed. Maine, Vermont, Minnesota. Those are some of the highest tax states, period, that you've got to take that into consideration. However, I always tell people, I don't know that you want to purely base how you're or where you're going to live purely because of taxes. I've got a ton of clients in California, which is probably the worst of the worst. And I'd say, you know what, go outside every day and you see why you live where you live. I mean, I I love Malibu. It's one of my favorite places on on the planet. But at the same time, it's one of the most highly taxed places on the planet too. So you just, you look at some of these things and, and you just, it's a balance. You know, is it worth it? Is it not? If you have the ability to perhaps move to a better state, and when I say a better state, what I mean from a tax standpoint, because I'm sure people would argue some of the states that have some of the best tax benefits are not necessarily some of the best states. Yeah, because when I looked it up, it said that Utah didn't have like an estate tax or something like that where I live. And I was kind of caught off guard by that. I didn't realize that that was some states didn't have the extra taxes. So, yeah. And, and as you can imagine, you know, a lot of it ha- comes down to red and blue issues. You know, just because different philosophies and the legislatures will put in place different things. You know, you've got some states that, you know, I live in Arkansas. And one of the things about Arkansas is that there's no one tax that is especially egregious or onerous burden or anything like that. But there's just so many taxes on everything. And that's what you have to look at, too, especially when we're just it's not even just the estate tax or the income tax. It's just the overall tax. Because what happens is sometimes they say, well, we only have a you know really small tax on this or a really small tax on that. Well, a lot of little small taxes add up to one really big tax obligation overall. So that, those are things that you've got to take into consideration as well. Okay. Interesting. Like for people that age and their mental capacity, right, is a concern. You had said, if you move the property into the trust, you don't want to have necessarily someone on the mortgage, which actually, or on the, on the deed, I guess, which actually makes a lot of sense. I'd never thought of that before. But is there a point where the value of the property really determines if it's like worth spending the money to put it into a trust? Like, is there a, what's, is there a threshold, I guess? Like if the, if the entire estate is worth a certain amount of money, then you want to spend the time putting it in a trust and spending the money, I guess? Well, you know, that, first of all, that's a great question because it goes back to what I initially was, was talking about as far as people saying, no, my parents need this. And I said, well, no, you need this. Everybody needs this. And then the fact that I was talking about a will versus a trust and saying people mistakenly believe that a will is super affordable, super cheap, inexpensive. And I said, well, you know, a will can be not a whole lot less than a trust. The challenge is you're just not going to get a lot of the same benefits. And if we're looking at that probate avoidance, you know, probate can be pretty significant, pretty substantial. You know, I've I've seen estimates where they say the average length of time for a probate is 11 to 14 months. And you think about 11 to 14 months on average, and that's where you're Mm -hmm. racking up attorney fees, accounting fees. You've got appraisal fees, depending upon how many assets you've got. What makes it even worse is... I mean, I know that you guys are big proponents of rental real estate, as am I. You know, the challenge that you have is I tell people all the time, one of the one of the best parts of real estate is that it doesn't matter 
if you live in a state that doesn't have great you know, opportunities. We live in a country that has great opportunities. So you may be able to find properties in completely different states, and especially if you're able to do them in a way that they're really hassle-free, where maybe you've got somebody in place that's helping you manage those, and you've got kind of mm-hmm. a, a solid system. I mean, that's an <clears throat> incredible wealth-building strategy. Challenge, however, is that if you don't have that trust and you just have a will, not only will you go through probate in the state in which you live for those rental properties, you'll have to go through probate in those other states as well. So now you're trying to manage the probate process all across the country, which just exacerbates the problem. Yeah, because that was actually on my list of things to, to talk to you about because I think that that is a really good point because when I met with you for my um, estate planning and asset protection, it was really interesting to me that I hadn't considered putting my properties that are in my LLC into my trust. And I hadn't done that. And so you found that loophole for me and obviously helped me close that loophole. But it's something that I hadn't considered with um, estate, you know, after... After I pass, what happens? Wow, all those states, that would be brutal. <laughs> yeah, especially when you're somebody that's a pretty prolific investor where you say, okay, I've got properties all over the country in a lot of different states. So what happens, and that kind of ties into to the primary question that you're asking me as far as how do you know when it's worth it? Well, it's going to cost you maybe you know a few thousand dollars total to set up your overall estate plan with, a, with the use of a revocable living trust. Well, I can guarantee you that the probate is going to cost far, far, far more than that as far as having everything taken care of, especially if you're an active real estate investor in multiple jurisdictions. So when you look at this, it becomes kind of a no-brainer, but it's one of those things that some people will will say that there's a mindset sometimes that, why do I care? I'll be dead and gone anyway. Well, but the reality is people don't spend their lifetime accumulating just for themselves. A lot of times they do it because they want to pass on to their families. They want to pass on to their their beneficiaries, whether it's grandkids or whoever it may be. And what I found is they don't want it to go into the government. They want it. There you go. I was just getting ready to say, I I don't know anybody who wants to go into the government. Blue, (laughs) red, pink, doesn't matter. Nobody wants to go into the government because nobody's voluntarily sending additional money to the government because they spend it so wisely. So there's a reason, I think, to kind of put put a fine point on what you just said. There's a reason why people who are, are real estate investors buy probate leads. It's because the people who are in probate are in literal hell, and they'll do just about anything to get out of that hell. So if somebody can rescue them from it, People get really good deals on real estate because the the family members don't want to deal with it. They have no interest in it. They just got left something that is really, it's more of a pain in the butt than it is an asset because they don't understand it. And I guess the other thing too is that, you know, if you're if you're someone who has created wealth and you understand how to create wealth and you're passing along a whole bunch of assets, whether you do it right or whether you do it wrong, if the next generation doesn't know what to do with the assets. You've just saddled them with a problem anyway. So you may have passed through, you know, if you if you met JJ and you've got all your ducks in a row, if you've not put anything in place that helps the younger generation understand what you learned throughout your life through the school of hard knocks, they're gonna piss away everything that you built. <laughs> they literally will, and it potentially could could ruin them anyway. 
uh, a lot of money. Well, money changes people. Lack of money, the, the excess of money changes people without some foundational roots. And so, and I encourage everybody to not only set up this kind of a plan, but actually think through. I mean, think it through a little bit. Like, what do you want to have happen with the money? What do you want to have happen with your family if that's who you're leaving it to? Or to the charity to which you're leaving it because the charity can suck the money right out too, right? So there's ways of putting things in place that will protect what you've built and allow it to live far beyond you if you just give it some thought. Anyway, sorry, I'll get off my yeah. soapbox, but don't give your don't give your money to the government for hell's sake. So I have um, a question about doing like a joint tenant on like is is there a risk on doing a joint tenant on a property or something like that? Is it the same situation that you were talking about? If that person it just puts the property at risk? Yeah, the, you know, because you're looking at liability protection, and, and a lot of times when we're talking about liability protection, we're mentioning just lawsuits. Well, keep in mind, a lawsuit can even just be a creditor coming after you. Sometimes if the person doesn't have their own assets, they're going to look to say, well, what assets do you have? And if their name is just on there as a joint tenant, that's essentially their asset. So that asset is now attachable in the event of a lawsuit. So that's one of those challenges that it sounds good in theory, but in practice, it's not so, it's not the wisest thing. Just like bank accounts. Sometimes people say, okay, I'm just going to put my kids' names on the bank account. Well, number one, that can be a horror story that you hear about that somebody just drained the bank account down and they didn't know about it because they had authorized the person to be on the account and just giving them carte blanche signing authority and then they just drain it. But even if they don't do that, even if they're relatively responsible as far as not touching that account, if they've got their own challenges, then their prospective creditors can come after those assets as well. So it's, it becomes a good idea that you're able to facilitate that transfer, but it's a terrible idea from the standpoint of having that exposure to potential liability. Yeah, so interesting. Sorry, I have a couple more questions. I'm, we're going over time, but I wanted to understand what does probate really look like? Like the short version, because I always hear like, oh, it's a nightmare, but like, what, what does, yeah, but I know, but what does it look like? What does that mean? Visualize. Well, I wish I had this slide. Yeah, yeah, it can be hell because you know I have this slide that I show at my live presentations that it's just got basically the steps in the probate process. And you know when I'm talking about probate, as I say, let me give you my brief description of probate, which for many people this may you know sum it all up for you. you may say I just want to get out of it completely. Tell me where do I sign? Let me get out. That brief description of probate is probate is a process set up by the government. You know. Some people, they hear that and they're saying, enough said, get Hard me. Hard stop. Hard stop. It's like, this, this is the way I would describe it, JJ. And I don't know if this is fair, but I would describe it as the DMV for your assets. That's what it is. You're not going to have what you need when you go to the DMV the first time. So you got to come back. You got to stand in a freaking line and you have to tell, have some moron tell you that you still don't have what you, even, even though you brought what they told you. You still don't have it and you still can't get what you need out of there, except for this time, all the people in there are holding your assets and you've sent all of your kids in there to play in the DMV. By the time you get your picture and you're out, there's not going to be anything left. 
Okay, that's that's a pretty clear description. I, I get it, visual. <clears throat> the last question I have, I think, until you start talking and then I think of something else. But what about if you put the the assets into an estate, but there's debt, like not necessarily mortgage debt, but there's like credit card debt or something. What happens after the person passes with something like that? Yeah, with debt, basically the, the estate still owes the debt, you know, unless for some reason it's charged off or it's not, if it's just canceled, which is somewhat rare. But typically the person that takes over, whether it's the, the executor of, a, of an estate or if it's the successor trustee, or we're talking about a trust, they're going to have to pay those out of the proceeds of the estate. You know, so they're going to pay all of those things. During the probate process, that's where you've got basically everybody can come make their claims. They come after it. And then in order to assess, you've got to have appraisal fees done just to assess the overall value. And that's where, like Ron's saying, it can just be, you know, excessive. So what we wanted to make sure that we're able to do is, you know, what I like about, um, what Ron said, I think earlier too, was talking about making sure that you have a plan that your family knows about. Because it's one thing to say, okay, we have this plan in place, but it's another thing for them to know what to do with it. Because if you think about, say, your real estate, your rental properties, you may completely know everything about all of them. But if you haven't shared that information with your family, all of a sudden they get this, maybe a three ring binder that's got all the information. They're going, I don't know where this place in Pennsylvania is. I don't know where these properties in Kansas City are. I don't know where, you know, what I'm looking at in St. Louis. You know, now you got three different states that you're saying, okay, well, how are we going to even, I don't even know how to get, I've never been to St. Louis. I've never been to Kansas City. I've never been to Pennsylvania. And then they're trying to figure out how to do all these things. Maybe they've got contact information, but they don't even know what questions to ask. So the better job you can do with all of those things also, just knowing what the debts are, being able to, to pay all of those rather than somebody just coming in and saying, oh, by the way, they owe me money. Challenge is that happens a lot of times. Very interesting. I think that's all of my questions that I have, Ron. So I have lots of basic questions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, I just encourage everybody to think this through, you know, and for those of you out there who are legitimately cheapskates and you know who you are. It's always best to hire somebody who knows what they're doing than try to do it yourself and completely screw it up. It always costs more money. My wife reminds me all the time, if I'm gonna, if something needs done around the house, I probably shouldn't do it because I generally will screw it up worse than it will cost us more money to have to have somebody come in and fix what I screwed up plus the original thing that I didn't even fix. So professionals, folks, professionals, hire someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah. JJ, how do people get a hold of you? Well, the best way is to send me an email to jj at jjchilders.com. And that's, again, just the letters jj at jjchilders, and that's C-H-I-L-D-E-R-S.com. If they send me that email, I'm basically going to respond back and say, hey, the best way for us to move forward is let's schedule a time to talk. So I'll offer a, a consultation and you know, for for listeners to this podcast, viewers viewers of the podcast, for you guys, there's no charge for that consultation. We do we do a complimentary consultation for for special groups. So if people would like to talk about some of these things, what we do is we just schedule a call, and I would say, okay, let me tell you a little bit about what we do, what's involved with that. So at least you have information. Because I tell people all the time, if there was a better way to handle things, 
wouldn't you at least want to hear about it? That's why mm-hmm. we offer this. I love that. Thank you. Exactly. Thank you for doing that. Cause I took advantage of that. It was super helpful. So thank you for all of your help with my, that's why I reached out to you first. Like, Hey, I know JJ knows how to help answer these questions. So thank you. <laughs> JJ, appreciate you, man. Um, Thanks so much. Guys, this, this needs to be done. So don't, don't put it off. Too many people die way younger than they think they're going to. So yeah. hopefully that's not you, but let's, let's at least be prepared till next week. Get out there, make something happen, everybody. This has been the Get Real Podcast. To subscribe and for more information, including a list of all episodes, go to getrealestatesuccess.com.